This is Healthy Rounds with Dr. Anthony Alessi, sponsored by St. Francis Hospital, Ratchford Eye Center, Hartford Healthcare, MD Advantage, and UConn Health Orthopedic and Sports Medicine. Healthy Rounds provides general information regarding medical conditions and diseases. The information is not intended to create a doctor-patient relationship. You are encouraged to consult your own medical provider for advice that applies to your own medical care. And now, Dr. Anthony Alessi on WTIC News Talk 1080 and WTIC.com. Welcome to Healthy Rounds, the show that provides you with up-to-date medical information and answers all of your health questions. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi, and it's great to be with you once again this Saturday. As many of you know, I've been on all during the week um, as a service uh, to the community. Um, Unfortunately, this is going to be my last program for the foreseeable future. Um, The the reason being that um, it has required that I come into the studio to do the show itself. And as you know, the station has moved to really keeping everybody out of the studio as much as they can, and rightfully so, really trying to broadcast remotely. Uh, Unfortunately, there's a limited number of the remote access pieces of gear. Um, that are necessary. And um, I have to be concerned now. I am on the list of physicians uh, who will have to go in as part of the surge. So I really cannot take the risk of getting becoming ill or infected before I have to go in. So with that, I am hunkering down at home uh, with my family. uh, and, And that's my real job. So these remote access things really need to be for the professionals who do this for a living. And you know them all. They do a great job. So um, I, I want to be clear. I think the station's doing the right thing. And my real job is seeing patients uh, along with my family. Uh, my son-in-law, Dr. Ashok Katarathara, is a pediatrician. He's been seeing patients all week, like many primary care physicians. Uh, my daughters, Catherine and Stephanie, and I are all neurologists and um, we are readying ourselves uh, to go in and work as part of this surge. We have been given lists of references to start looking at to refresh ourselves on the idea of triage and dealing with trauma um, as best we can and, and and the respiratory problems that people are facing. I, I do have the good fortune of having some experience with this from my experiences in Haiti. I've been there through three disasters, a a major hurricane, a cholera outbreak, and an earthquake. And I'd never thought my skills learned in that setting in Haiti uh, would be useful uh, in my own city. Uh, But that is clearly the case. So um, if you have questions, we're going to take all your questions today at 860-522-9842 and 1-800-966-9842. Even if I'm not on the air any longer, my email is info at alessimd.com. And we're going to get to answering some of the questions that have been coming in on that. It's available, obviously, 24-7, uh, whether I'm on the air or not. Uh, One of the things we do on this program is this day in medicine, and today is the Feast of St. Benedict. St. Benedict was born in Italy in 480 A.D., and it's interesting because St. Benedict is the patron saint of all those who are suffering from disease. And if there were any time that we need to pray to St. Benedict, this is the time. Now, a lot of people have come out with, you know, ways of 
trying to avoid the anxiety, the stress of being at home, the stress of this situation. And for some people, not everybody, but for a lot of people, prayer is a good way of approaching this. But no matter what, we need to start taking action. When we look at the statistics, the latest statistics from this morning, in Connecticut, we have now diagnosed 194 people. That's up by 35 since yesterday. We have four people who are deceased from COVID-19. That's up by one. And we still don't have anybody who has recovered from being ill. In the United States itself, we have 19,843 people who have been infected. That's up by 5,450 since yesterday. We have 276 deaths. That's up by 59. And 147 people recovered. Globally, we have 278,000 people who have been infected. 11,000 of those are deceased. And 92,000 recovered. The interesting statistics to look at really are what has gone on in the rest of the world. As a scientist, I believe you need to approach a problem by what has been learned by others, what has been learned in the lab. So we really need to look at what have we learned so far, because we're pretty fortunate right now. We've not gotten hit with this huge surge as they have in Italy and throughout Europe. But what seems to have worked is what's going on in South Korea and Asia because their numbers are now low. And it seems like they have arrested this steep incline in the number of cases. Now, some of those measures are people have said draconian or whatever. But if you just look at South Korea, they have tested large numbers of people. Now, I was told more than a week ago that any American can go and get tested for COVID-19. Any American, whether you have symptoms or not, could be tested. Obviously, someone lied to me because that's not the case. But in South Korea, that's what they did. Starting in January, they started rolling out tests. They do 15,000 tests a day. We don't get near that number here. And in doing so, they were able to isolate and identify who had the virus. They actually had an app showing you where these clusters of virus were so you could avoid going in those areas of the cities and in their country. So the question becomes, do we follow South Korea and Asia with very strict guidelines for how we're going to do things in terms of sheltering in place or whatever term we're using for it now and staying at home? Or are we going to adapt the Italian approach, which has clearly been the wrong approach when you have 627 more deaths in 24 hours, which was a much more patient, lackadaisical approach to this. Today, they have now called out the military to enforce their quarantine. I am sure they're thinking it's too bad we didn't do that two weeks ago. So with that, as Americans, we need to decide what we're going to do as a nation. I keep hearing this potpourri of what state is doing what and 
things such as that. As a nation, somebody needs to step up and make a decision. Are we going to go the way of South Korea? Are we going to go the way of Italy? So far, they've chosen the Italian method. And the Italians, to their credit, are saying we did the wrong thing. With that, we're going to take a short break, and then we're going to be back with my guest, Dr. Michael Gray. He's the chief of internal medicine at St. Francis Hospital here in Hartford. The telephone number is 860-522-9842 and 1-800-966-9842. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. We're back on Healthy Rounds. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi, and my guest today is uh, Dr. Michael Gray. Dr. Gray is the chief of internal medicine and, um, as I recall, chief medical officer. Uh, he has been a, a guest on our program before. Um, uh, Mike, welcome to the show. Hey, Tony. Good to hear you again. I, and uh, how's your daughter doing? Who's she settled into a position uh, she did. She's That's over great. at the competition over at Hartford Healthcare, man. Okay, <laughs> yeah. so we, we've we've okay. got we're everybody, but we're everywhere but St. Francis these days. But anyhow, yeah. let's get to what's going on over there. You guys have opened up a new hotline. Um, can you yeah. talk a little bit about that and and what the purpose of that is for everybody? So we really have two hotlines. One is for uh, the public. Anybody who has questions related to the covid virus can call that number and i'll give it to you at the end of the of the talk if that's okay sure and um we also have an internal one for employees if they have questions or concerns uh they can also call the internal number so um that's really just for employees though and and really the purpose is uh kind of in a way it's an extension of what a lot of the hospitals are doing with these drive-through testing centers is try to decompress people either going into their doctor's office or going into the emergency room uh, who have either mild or no symptoms but are worried that they might have been exposed. And we can give them uh, good guidance and, if, if necessary, triage them uh, to either call their docs or uh, get tested if that is the case may be. Uh, Mike, the other thing is this. So how's the drive-through testing going? You guys have been set up there. You were set up early on. Um, how is that moving along? Yeah, we we went uh, live uh, Tuesday uh, uh, late morning. We're the first hospital in the greater Hartford area, actually, to go up. And it's gone incredibly smoothly. I'm actually, uh, I, was, I was worried because we did this all on very short uh, uh, time span. Uh, but the team pulled together uh, across the board, our registration people, our lab people. Nursing has been obviously central to all of this because they're doing all the swabs for us, leadership. So uh, we've been up and running since Tuesday, um, and we haven't had any difficulties at all. Sometimes it's been pretty busy, um, but everybody's been very calm uh, and has been uh, respectful of staff, and so far, uh, no operational glitches. I've just been very impressed with how great everybody's uh, done. I think we're over 500 tests right now, and um, so far, smooth as silk. Oh, that's great to hear. You know, we were told by this task force and the federal government, right, that, that every American, any American who wanted to be tested, whether they had symptoms or not, could be tested. Uh, and that was about 10 days ago, I believe. 
Um, where are we on that? Can anybody go up and be tested? Because I think that needs to be clarified um, for us. So I, I think it's pretty easy to answer that question in the short term. Meaning, Please. right now, if someone wanted to be tested but they have no no, I'll just call it a pertinent exposure, sure, or a travel history, or and they're asymptomatic. Um, those are not the people that we we are. Uh, want to be testing for right now because there still is a national shortage of testing uh, capacity. I think in the next week when uh, Quest and LabCorp and others are fully up and running, the capacity for testing is going to expand dramatically. And then I think we'll be able to do testing much more liberally. But right now, uh, for example, and I think this is true at most of the hospitals that I'm aware of in the state, you have to have a physician order uh, to come, and obviously uh, photo ID. And uh, with a physician order um, and the ID, you can be tested. But we're we're certainly our instructions to the, our community of docs who are sending patients in are we don't want people to come who don't have any uh, symptoms, are feeling well, don't have any exposures that are relevant. We're trying to triage to keep uh, basically keep our resources going for as long as possible. Uh, any shortages yet? Of uh, testing or anything. protective equipment? or Anything. We're hearing about uh, ventilators. We're hearing about masks, gloves, gowns, tests. So what we, yeah, great question. So what we do every day, by the way, I, I, I was an interim chief medical officer, but um, our new chief medical officer, Phil Rowan, is has a uh, actually two calls a day okay. and sends out a uh, email to all the people on our uh, incident command uh, COVID-19 task force and uh, we have we look at all of our supply chain if you will masks gowns goggles gloves um, you name it it's on that list and uh, we like to see what the supply is across the Trinity Health and New England uh, hospitals. And then we look at the number of days of supplies. And so far, we're in the green. Um, uh, we, have, uh, we have enough supplies to address any of those needs. And that includes ventilators, uh, beds. Uh, we're, we're, able to, um, we're able to take the demand as it comes in right now. Uh, I will also tell you that, and again, I think this is happening across the region and in some of the hot spots around the country, but we have a surge capacity uh, plan where we're going to start cohorting patients, both in the intensive care unit, people who might need um, to be uh, intubated in higher level of care, and then patients who aren't at that level but are sick enough to be hospitalized are going to be cohorted on a specific unit at the hospital. Again, I think we're doing what most of the hospitals are doing or are planning to do. What's the plan for this week? Okay, so I mean, every week I know you sit with John Rodas and there's a there's a plan on on what to approach. Last week it was getting the uh, the drive through testing up and going. What are people going to be hearing from St. Francis this week? Great question. Um, and you're right. Last week we were focused on standing up our alternative testing site. Uh, this week, I think uh, there, there's a, a general sense, uh, I think, based on looking at what's happened in other parts of the country, that the next two weeks we'll see that, uh, and I hope the wave isn't too big, but we'll see a wave of people who may be, uh, need to be hospitalized. So we're planning on 
having more patients uh, who are going to require hospitalization, and some of them are going to require uh, ventilatory support. So our focus this week, I think, is really going to be on making sure that we have uh, those um, uh, units, those dedicated units where we can put patients in who have either suspect or diagnosed COVID uh, and uh, ditto with the ICU. We're going to basically, we have, we have two, uh, two IC, uh, critical care units. One has really been sort of cardiology and surgical ICU. The other one's medical ICU. We're going to make the medical ICU our p- place for patients who have COVID who require uh, ventilatory support. And the other unit is going to be for all other patients. Michael, thank you. Thank you for your time, and, and thank you for everything you're doing. And uh, please give my best to everybody over there at St. Francis uh, for I all will, their hard Tony. work. All right. I will, Tony. Thanks so much. You have a great day. Thank Wash you. your hands. Uh, always. <laughs> Take <laughs> care, man. Bye, friend. Bye-bye. Uh, one of the, th- the things I want to get out there, the community hotline for St. Francis Hospital is 1-888-786-2790. And it's available every day from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. Uh, I want to grab a quick question before the break. Celeste, you're on. We've got a couple of minutes. Yes. Um, I was curious as to um, the, the, the coverage for uh, since the virus started up until now has been very, very thorough, um, advising us, um, you know, explaining to us the disease. But the question is, what happens to the ones that have already had it and now are back? Are they back out again? In circulation, yes. Um, does the virus hit them again? No. Um, are they contagious? They're not. They are not. So interesting. Really? Uh, mm-hmm. I'm gonna I'm gonna hang up and then answer the question for you if that's okay. Yeah, that's fine. All right. So Celeste's question is: If someone has COVID nineteen, essentially, are they immune? And the answer is yes, but not permanently. So what happens is when you get the infection, your body builds up antibodies to that strain, in this case, the COVID-19. So you cannot get it a second time. Now, that's not to say next year there may be a new strain or, or the immunity wears off. We don't know enough about that. But we do know that you have antibodies. And one of the potential treatments for COVID-19 is to take those who have recovered from the virus fully look at their blood and transfuse the antibodies to COVID-19 in those people into those who are ill. This has been done with other illnesses before. Obviously, it's very limited. It's not like you could do this on a mass scale. But that's how potent the body's immune response is to a virus or to a foreign body. And that's why people who are immunosuppressed, people who cannot mount that antibody attack against the virus, are so vulnerable. And those are people who are on immunosuppressant medications, have diseases that immunosuppress you, and elderly people who have a hard time mounting that response. We're going to take a short break, and then I'm going to be back with you and taking all your questions. Uh, we have some questions coming in on the info at alessimd.com, uh, and we'll uh, look at that. Um, and uh, I'll take all your questions on the call-in lines, 860-522-9842 and 1-800-966-9842. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. 
We're back on Healthy Rounds. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi, and uh, the board is lighting up with questions, um, and uh, we will jump right in and grab those. Um, we had a question from Rosemary in Tolland. Yes, good morning. Good morning. I enjoy your show. I'm sorry you won't be on from, from here on for a while. <laughs> Thanks. Um, I heard last night on the news that uh, twice as many men in, as women in Italy who contracted the virus have died. Yes. And I remembered reading in the past that this, this was the same in the 1918 Spanish flu epidemic. And I don't have the literature or scientific data on this, but I remember hearing that the reasoning behind this was that they thought that women kept working and moving and men tended to lie down and their lungs would fill up and they would die. And I just wondered if you had ever heard anything yeah, no, uh, I don't believe that's necessarily true. Um, okay. You know, uh, I don't know what it was in 1918, um, but uh, I don't think that's the case. Uh, I don't think we know why more men die. And I, it really has just been in the last 24 hours that that statistic has been made known with COVID-19. Okay. So what analogies there are to 1918, I, um, I, I can't speak to that. But, right. um, you know, there's... You know, you don't have to go to medical school to know that men and women are different, okay? And our physiology is different, our makeup is different, and why men are more susceptible to death. Not, and I want to make it clear, not more susceptible to infection. Women are just as susceptible to infection, but men are more likely to die. Um, And I don't know why. Yeah, yeah, I I told my my daughter is a virologist, and I brought this up to her this morning, and she said, you'd have to show me the scientific Right. Information. Okay, so she and I are on the same page. Right. Well, listen, thank you. Okay, I just have one quick question. Yeah, sure. Would putting towels or blankets in the dryer for 10 minutes or so on high kill the virus? Um, Rather than having to wash everything all the time. I I don't know that. Um, That's interesting. We know that washing it in hot water and detergent kills the virus. I don't know that heat itself will kill it. I would I would ask your daughter the virologist. Okay. Okay. All right. Thank you for the call, Rosemary. Thank you. All right. Good luck. Stay well. Thank you. Uh, next uh, on the line is Alan Hartland. Al, you had a question. Uh, yes, doctor. Um, I guess two questions, which could result in a lot more. But sure. my first question is, um, if someone gets the virus um, and they get well, which most people do, Yes. Um, how um, how long until they're no longer able to infect someone else? That's the first question. Sure. And then my second question is, um, can they get it again in this same season, we'll say, of, of the virus? Because the reason I'm asking those two questions is because it sounds like after they've gotten it and if they're not infectious, then they can be a productive part of society without having to be part of these measures of worrying about getting it or giving it. Correct. So let's start with the first question. Here's what we know about the pattern of the virus. We know that in people who have been hospitalized, okay, if you've gotten severe infection, their symptoms probably have been ongoing for about nine days prior before they got to the hospital. What we also know is that... uh, People 
who have the infection, we don't start their quarantine period until all their symptoms are cleared. Now, previously, earlier in this discussion, it was you would have to be tested negative twice, 24 hours apart before the quarantine would begin. And the reason is we think the virus lasts for about potentially maybe nine or 10 days afterward. So that's why there's a two-week quarantine to be safe. So someone who has the virus and gets better, are they still shedding virus? We don't know. But we're going to be on the side of caution by isolating them for another two weeks after. If someone okay, okay, so 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 there is a certain amount of time, and then now sure. they're no longer able to give it. Okay, so now can they get it again? No, no, okay. because they'll have antibodies, and as you said, for this season, they will have antibodies to COVID nineteen. So with that, an interesting take. What you said was they become a more productive ally in this battle. The answer is yes, like, and it seems like our public health protocols should be taking that into it. Maybe they are, but I don't hear anything about that. All I hear is let's stop, let's shut down, let's not have people go out, not, hey, how are we going to deal with the people that are getting better? And I, you know. We haven't had anybody yet, though. I mean, in terms of the 194 people who have been infected, we have had zero recoveries in the state of Connecticut so far. Do you know why that is? Because we haven't tested any people. I mean, we, 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 this has been a hoax that's been put on the American people that everybody can be tested. If everybody could be tested, we would have an accurate perception of where people are who are infected, who has recovered, and who could go back on the front line. But when you have such limited testing available and so few tests available and so few, so little protective equipment available, you're asking the right question. But there's no way to get that answer yet. But so we can't base it just on symptoms. On okay, they had it, they're they're clear, and wait 14 days, and now they're good. You, you actually have to test them. They had to be tested to... positive first, right? They had to be tested positive first. Okay. Yeah. So we're not guessing that somebody had COVID-19. They have to be tested positive first. So that's where the problem comes in. We haven't tested enough people. Okay. All right. Thank you for the call. Appreciate your time. Thank you. Uh, We had a Jack from Glastonbury. Jack, you had a question. Yeah. Hey, um, there's been concern about uh, going outdoors, you know. Sure. Uh, I'm a member of a hiking club, and we've already imposed uh, the separation rule, you know, and and all of that. And now they're talking about groups of 10 or less, and we may have to, you know. Or fewer. Do do that. But but my question is, do you think they're really going to, knock it down so we can't hike at all or there you know i know there's some part public you know some towns have closed their uh parks and some parks have you know like hiking trails so you wouldn't be able to use those so yep. i'm just kind of curious is what you're thinking is is whether the policy is going to get more restrictive and you th- and if you think that's correct to restrict it more or if you know i'm just trying to get a better feel of how things are going uh, so as far as going outside and hiking, um, I think that's a good thing. First of all, fresh air is a good thing. Hiking as part of a club is a bad thing because it brings you into close proximity. Even though you're trying to obey, you know, first of all, this 10-person level, it, it should be zero if you can, okay? If you're out there 
try to be out there alone or with someone else, one other person, okay? Um, a wife, a, you know, a spouse, whatever, okay? Yep. But coming together as a group is hard to maintain. I mean, let's face it, we're going to see a press conference at noon, and those people are on top of each other, and they're telling us to follow social distancing. Right. How ironic is that? Um, right. So um, I think it's great to go out, get out, get fresh air, walk, but always practice social distancing, and then get back in the house. Okay. Okay? That's yep. the best thing you could do. Great. Thank you for the call, Jack. You bet. Thanks. We're going to take a short break, and then we're going to be back. We have more questions lined up. I'll try to get to all of them um, uh, before the uh, next show uh, and actually the press conference at noon. Uh, you're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. We're back on Healthy Rounds. I'm going to jump right in. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi, and I want to get to uh, the questions here. We have uh, Nora from Southington. You had a question, Nora? Well, mine is more of something that I read in the Record Journal this morning. It was about a 73-year-old woman who waited 45 minutes in line at midstay, only to find out that when she got to the front of the line, she did not have a Hartford Hospital a doctor's prescription. Yes. She had a, a Yale New Haven doctor's, and they were only doing uh, Hartford Hospital. And I just want to know if people are aware of this rather than be waiting. I don't know if every hospital is doing that. Well, know, they, but I yeah. just thought it should, people great should point. be aware. Yeah, it's a great point. Uh, they have made that pretty well known um, that it has to be uh, a Hartford Healthcare affiliated physician writing the script. Uh, I now know the reason for that. I know that we're rationing these tests as best we can. Um, that's what and, I thought. Maybe and, and, it was. and that's I'm really a retired it. nurse, so therefore, I, you know, right. I was thinking in that line. Yeah. So yeah. I, I think that's that's really the problem. They should let people know that before they wait in line for forty-five minutes. I will agree with you there. Uh, okay. But thank that has to be known. Much, and I'm glad. I enjoy your program well, very much. Thank you very much for the call, and thank you for that. Um, next, uh, we have Ralph on the line. Ralph, you have a quick question for me? Well, actually, I have a statement for you. Sure. Um, there was a young lady who, who called earlier about why is it that men back in the 1918s uh, fell ill. Uh, well, yeah. Is it because that, the reason is because that was during World War One, And the GIs or whoever they were, the soldiers, went back to their host countries. I got you. Again. Okay. Okay. So with that, they became infected at that time, right after World yeah. War One. Ralph, right. thank well, you. At the end of it, at the very yeah. end. Yeah, thank so, you. So when they went home, whether it be England, whether it be Scotland, sure. or the U.S. or Canada, okay, they went back, and this is how it was transmitted. Wow, thank you, thank you for that. That's a great point. Thanks for bringing yep. us up to yeah, speed. Good day. Thank you. Um, one of the other questions we had, somebody had to get off the line, was that they understood that healthcare professionals um, at hospitals who are on the front line are not being screened for COVID-19. And the reason for that is they are not being tested until they show symptoms. Uh, again, we are rationing these tests. Um, and the reason is, and I want to get into the symptoms again. We're trying to keep it simple. The symptoms are fever, cough, shortness of breath. Those are the three principal symptoms. So until you have those symptoms, 
you really are not able to get a test and you need a request from a physician. So that's the key. Believe me, this is reactive thinking and not proactive thinking, right? But that's all we have right now because of the shortage of tests, um, despite the rosy picture being painted for us. Um, I had uh, an email which was excellent uh, by someone, a, a trucker who's been on the road um, delivering day and night. Uh, and these are people, again, on the front line. These are necessary people who are out there delivering groceries, delivering goods to make sure people have it, um, delivering to pharmacies. So his questions were, he doesn't have a primary care physician. He's checking his temperature every day. He has made his superiors aware of the fact that this virus can live on surfaces. We saw the New England Journal of Medicine um, published that it lives on plastic and stainless steel for two to three days on cardboard for 24 hours. His question was, he saw what I've dubbed the Geraldo Rivera test. Okay, so I love when people get behind this microphone and suddenly think they're an expert in everything. So Geraldo Rivera announced that if you can hold your breath for 10 seconds, you don't have COVID-19. Um, that's moronic. Um, basically, the shortness of breath part of that triad is a change in your ability. So some people can hold their breath for a lot more than 10 seconds when they're healthy. If they see a decline, so if you could climb a flight of stairs without becoming shortness, short of breath, but suddenly you go to your apartment and you can't get up half a flight of stairs without being short of breath, you know that you have a symptom of shortness of breath. It's relative to your physical fitness. So there is no absolute there. The other thing comes to the cardboard deal. You have to be careful around cardboard. It's a porous structure. People are getting deliveries now of food. We're getting uh, deliveries from Amazon. You've got to get rid of the cardboard on the outside that it comes in. Get it into the garbage as quickly as you can and then wash your hands. Treat those substances as if they are loaded with infection. And you have to be very mindful of that. Some people actually leave the packing outside. Just don't bring it in or leave it hanging around because you're going to run into a problem with it from that standpoint. So I wanted to be sure that, um, you know, around the world, this is affecting so many people. Um, I received an email this morning from my good friend, Father Rick Frechette, who you all know from this program for the regular listeners, who is a Catholic priest from West Hartford, and he has been living in Haiti since 1987. Their country is in a total shutdown, and they rely on everything being imported. They don't have industry like we do. They don't have a transportation system. So fortunately, much of what is done at St. Damien and St. Luke is self-sufficient. He is using the wax from his beehives to make candles. The mead from the bees is actually being mixed to use as a hand sanitizer, so we're getting back to the Middle Ages here in how we are moving forward, and it's important to note that. So the key things here, I want everybody to remember the symptoms, fever, cough, shortness of breath, contact your physician. One of the earlier questions was, how do we do telehealth? Do I need a certain platform? Do I need a certain device? You need a device with a camera. 
Could be a smartphone, could be an iPad. Your physician will contact you or provider will contact you with an invitation for a specific time with a link bringing you onto that. I think that was uh, Danny who called into um, the uh, tab computer guys. With that, um, I'm going to sign off. Um, this will be my last program for the foreseeable future. Uh, and I have to stay out of the studio. I am going to isolate myself at home um, since I will be part of um, the groups of physicians who will have to go to the front line, and I cannot afford to become ill before that um, and uh, need to move that way. I'll be happy to answer all your questions at info at alessimd.com. Um, and the station, unfortunately, had to make a decision regarding uh, remote broadcasting and keeping people out of the studio, which is the absolute right thing to do. Unfortunately, we still need people to work that board. And that's primarily my good friend and studio producer, Mike Olko, who will be here working tirelessly so that good broadcasting and good information can be gotten out to you. With that. I want to thank you. Please stay healthy, and I look forward to being back with you in the near future. This is Dr. Anthony Alessi for Healthy Rounds and WTIC News Talk 1080. This has been Healthy Rounds with Dr. Anthony Alessi, sponsored by St. Francis Hospital, Ratchford Eye Center, Hartford Healthcare, MD Advantage, and Yukon Health Orthopedics and Sports Medicine. Be sure to tune in next Saturday morning at 11 for more Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080 and WTIC.com.